So if you found your notes, we made it to John chapter 19. And tonight I'm only going to be able to cover 16 verses. That should tell you something. And it is a passage that is extremely familiar. It should be. You know, when Jesus is uh, beaten by Pilate and they put the crown of thorns on his head and they put the purple robe on him. And you can Google that and you'll get a bunch of different pictures, you know, of, of our Savior when, you, when that happened to Yeshua. <clears throat> and so I just want to start off with these first three verses here in John 19. And it says, Then therefore Pilate took Yeshua and flogged him. And the soldiers plaited together a crown of thorns, placed it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. And they came to him and said, Greetings, sovereign of Yehudim, or king of Judah. And they slapped him in the face. Now, um, this event that happened was brutal. There were many times when people were flogged and they would die just from that. If you don't know what they used, they, they used this whip, had a short handle on it, and it would have um, a number of straps coming off of that. Some say three, some say nine. You might have heard the cat of nine tails, that phrase. Um, not sure exactly which one they used, but they would have used something like that. At the end of each one of those straps, they would have things tied to it. Some of them were nothing more than like a round ball because they didn't want it to break the skin. They wanted the bruising and the bone breaking to go deep. Then they would have other straps. They would have sharp uh, pieces of either metal or bone tied to it, and those were designed to literally rip the flesh off. Um, by the time they got through, uh, and, and you've also heard, you know, of being whipped. Uh, the Apostle Paul was flogged uh, a number of times, beaten and stoned. <clears throat> um, and you might have heard that, you know, that they did that 39 times. Well, not the Romans. Yeah, that's Torah. Uh, they were told that if anybody was to be beaten, no more than 40 lashes. And so they would stop at 39 just in case they miscounted. But not Rome. They would do it until they decided they were done. Or they, and it might be lightly or it might be brutal. Um, and so by the time this happens to our Savior, uh, they've been, Rome made a sport out of killing people. And they also used it to keep the crowds under control. That's why public crucifixion was done. And they would have, there was a season there where they had hundreds of miles, hundreds of miles down the road with ever so often there was somebody crucified on there as a, as a sign, don't get out of line or you'll be a, a, a billboard. And it was also against the law just to go take somebody down without the authority to do so. Um, they were brutal with it. That, that, these soldiers, they made their living killing people. Okay. So these are the ones that are mocking him. Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, Jesus. Um, and they put this, they make a crown of thorns and they push it down on his head and push those thorns down into his scalp. They start slapping him, put this purple robe on him, and they're just mocking him. So you have to have that picture in your mind as we continue on here. And you have to remember that Pilate is a Roman soldier. He, he's Roman. He is, um, by all accounts in history, a very mean, nasty person. He was not nice. Um, and so there's this conflict with Pilate in this Passage. Did you know this is a, 
a highly refuted issue, Pilate is, over the, the validity of Scripture? Because uh, historically, they know that Pilate was, he hated the Jews. He hated being there. And he was a ruthless man. Um, and so you having where he, he goes uh, in verse four, <clears throat> after he's beaten him, in verse four it says, and Pilate went outside again and he said to them, see, I'm bringing him out to, out to you to let you know, watch this, that I find no fault with him. He's already had him beaten even though he, he believes this is an innocent man. That'll tell you something. And he had the authority, could have just said, y'all are idiots, get out of here, but he didn't. Um, he says, because I, that I find no guilt in him, verse five. Then Yeshua came outside wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, see the man. And I've said this for years and years and years on preaching on this passage. I believe, we're not told this, but I believe Pilate had to say that because you wouldn't have recognized him. He could have had a broken eye socket. Uh, in the description that we see in the Gospels and in the prophecies, in the Psalms and stuff, it talks about them pulling out his beard. They were brutal. These prophecies, it talks about how bad this is. Um, and I believe that's exactly what happened. They beat the tar out of him because, well, they didn't care. To them, it was sport. It's just what they did. And I believe that Pilate was having to say, this is the guy. This is the same one that went back. This is him. And so verse six says, so when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they shouted saying, impale, impale, or crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, you take him and impale him or crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. He's saying it again. Do you remember now how many times we have to say this? When you see something repeated in Scripture, pay attention. And especially in close proximity. And right here, Pilate is saying twice, real close, in this one short encounter with these religious leaders, this man is innocent. Um. We just need to go on down to verse 7. Um, verse 7 says, The Yehudim, these religious leaders, answered Pilate, and they said this, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, for he has made himself the son of Elohim, the son of God. This is huge. <clears throat> um, I've got a, 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 and I gave it to you down here in your notes for a cross reference. Because um, they, they were equating this with blasphemy. You ever heard that term? Blasphemy, you ever heard about blasphemy and the impardonable sin, you know? Uh, and as a matter of fact, this whole idea of blasphemy and taking God's name in vain is the reason why the real Orthodox Jewish community will not say his name. It is why they'll use words like Adonai or Hashem, which means the name and other things. Or if they're spelling it out in English, they'll spell G dash D, you know, to supposedly keep you from even saying his name, which is dumb and unbiblical and rabbinical. We don't have time to chase that one tonight. Y'all have heard a lot of that. But I'm going to give you also some references in here because how many of us in here know what blasphemy means? But we've heard it. But what does that really mean? Well, we're going to find out. Kind of. It's even more than that. I mean, to, to profane his name or make it common, I'll go ahead and tell you it's in your notes. It literally means to bring disrespute or slander or to slander another, his name. 
So it's not just a mispronunciation of it or using it lightly. It means slandering it. Folks, and I believe that's why when it talks about, if you will, the unpardonable sin, you can blaspheme God, you can slander God, you can slander the Son, but if you do that to the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be forgiven. Because that's dealing with the work of God bringing about salvation to do what? Point people to the Savior. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And if you start saying that the workings of the Holy Spirit is actually of the devil, done. God won't put up with it. Maybe that should wake us up and say we should know what we're talking about before we start opening our mouths. Right? I'm, this message is a little bit loaded tonight. Uh, so let's just go on. So you need to go to Matthew 26. This is a cross reference, just so that you see what they're talking about. It's there in your notes. It says, But Yeshua remained silent. So the high priest said to him, I put you to the oath by the living Elohim that you say to us, If you are the Messiah, the Son of Elohim. Yeshua said to him, you have said it. Besides, I say to you, from now, you shall see the son of man or son of Adam sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his garment saying, he has blasphemed. Why do we need any more witnesses? See now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, he is liable to death. Then they spit in his face, beat him, and others slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, Messiah, who is the one that struck you? And you should have there in your notes the definition right out of Strong's Concordance on what is blasphemy, or there in Greek, blasphemo, or blasphemo. And I'm not going to you know, read through that whole thing, but you can see where it talks about to hurt the reputation of uh, or to smite with reports or words, to speak evil of or slander or rail upon someone. So uh, <clears throat> that's what they're basing their argument on and saying, and based on that, he deserves to die. That's a whole nother story. That's not totally correct, but they're saying that he should die. And even with the high priest tearing his robes, that is wrong. The high priest is to never tear his robes, ever. But he does it anyways. This is all part of this arrest thing, and there's some things in here that we just have to see so that we can understand what's really going on. Um. And so he, they stayed here. He has made himself out to be the very son of God. And based on that, you go to the next verse, verse 10, or verse 8. So when Pilate heard that, he was more afraid. Okay, now hold on a minute. Pilate is a evil, mean, and nasty Roman guy that makes sport out of killing people, doesn't even want to be there. And he hates the Jewish people. He doesn't really want to be there. Okay? Um, and right here, he, he hears them say, he's the son of God, and then it says, he was more afraid. This is where people say, this can't be true because you see Pilate trying to be kind to the Jewish people and we know that he hates them and he makes a sport out of killing people and this whole thing in here doesn't make sense with Pilate acting like this. And so people will say that the Bible, this is another place where the Bible has kind of weird, contradictory, illogical things in it. And what I say to that is, well, it's because you're biblically ignorant and illiterate. You don't know your Bible. Um, this makes perfect sense when you understand where Pilate's coming from. But it, it's, I've preached on it. I'm going to talk about it again, but I'll guarantee probably most of you in here are sitting going, uh, 
Get to the punchline, Paul. Come on, tell me what's going on. Well, we need to back up a little bit because you have to understand, Pilate has already had another conversation with Jesus, Yeshua, before he flogs him, right? It's in the previous chapter. Zach covered that last week. There's some interesting things in here because they've already, you know, they're trying to kill him and Pilate's like, and this guy's in his, I don't know what, you got laws, deal with it. They, no, no, no. He takes him back. And so Pilate interrogates him. These aren't in your notes. I'm just going to share a couple of things with you. So they ask him, are you king of the Jews? He goes, you saying this or somebody else? And he's am I a Jew? This, this is where you see this sarcasm. He's like, I'm not a Jew. Whatever. Come on, man. You're wasting my time. So then he says, well, you know, are you a king? This is what, so you have to look at this and then I'm going to tell you something and then hopefully you'll go, oh, okay. Uh, Jesus tells him specifically, my kingdom is not from this world. Y'all remember that? If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom isn't from this world. And this is where Pilate goes, so then you are a king. Now listen, Jesus goes, you say that I'm a king? For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And this is where that famous line goes, well, then what is truth? Okay? So you just have to remember that he's had this conversation. Just hold on to that for a second. He's had this conversation and Jesus is telling him, I'm not from this world. Right? I ain't from here. Okay? Now, and I, I want, before I get off of chapter 18, because there's one other little thing in here that's real important to grasp. So in chapter 18, you know, he's like, I, you know, there's this custom at the Passover, I'll, you know, give somebody, and he says, we want Barabbas, right? We don't want. Jesus, we want Barabbas. Anybody here know what Barabbas means? What his name means. You ever heard of the word bar mitzvah? Bar mitzvot is for the son. When he gets to be 13, becomes a son of the Torah or the daughter. It's a bat mitzvah, the daughter, but a bar mitzvah is a son of. Okay? Bar, son of, bar Abba means what? You know that. It means father. His name literally means son of the father. The parallels in here get really crazy because they're saying, we don't want that son of the father. We want that son of the father. The, literally the names, God's got all this totally orchestrated. Fascinating, huh? So, if you cut, if I, if you'll let me go ahead and cut to the chase, so I, because I'm afraid I might forget here in a second, because I'm I've got something else to share with you. So at the end, what do they say? They start saying, "We haven't read it yet. Uh, we have no king but Caesar." So they say, "We don't want that son of the father. We want this son of the father, and we don't want that king. We want this king, Caesar." But the big question comes from, why would Pilate respond with, or why does it say he was more afraid? And then he takes Jesus, and he has another conversation with him, like, dude, we need to talk. Why would he do that? If you don't understand, if you don't understand your Bible, then you're going to come up with, yeah, there's contradictions in the Bible. This doesn't make any sense. Why, why would Pilate be afraid? of a guy he just beat nearly to death, why did that scare him? He's not a Jew. He doesn't care about their laws. Why would that scare him? Well, Pilate, remember, technically, let me use a term uh, generally speaking, was a pagan. He was a pagan Roman that believed in what? He's been Hellenized and believes in a lot of gods.
you, you have to go back to the first century people to understand where they're coming from, not somebody that's living in 2019 in Roy City, Texas. You got to get back to the first century and understand what, how did they view the world? If you read the book, I wrote about this in my book. They had a Deuteronomy 32 worldview, meaning they understood that when God divided the nations, he divided them according to the number of the sons of God. These sons of God, these fallen watchers. He understood, watch this, I'll say it this way, what we know as Greek mythology. They understood that to be based on a truth. Remember when they spied out the land and they didn't want to go in? You remember what they came back saying? There's giants in the land and they devour the land and the people, we were like grasshoppers to them. Those were some descendants somehow from the Nephilim. I believe it with all my heart. All the tribes, all the people that God said, when you go in there, you obliterate these people. All of those groups, he doesn't do it with all of them, but the ones that he had them do it to, they were associated with the Nephilim and these giants. Pilate, in his worldview, believes that these demigods, these hybrids, happened. So do I. Y'all can leave now if you think I've lost my mind, but I, I do believe that because, well, it's in my Bible. It's Genesis chapter 6. Most people don't want to study it or read it because it's just too weird. We've been there before. I, I believe it's true, and this, that's Pilate's mindset, Okay? You have to also remember what? His wife, what? Y'all know the story. She had a what? A dream. She comes to Pilate and goes, don't you mess with him. I had a dream about this guy. Don't mess with him. All of this stuff is going on, and so Pilate's got to be thinking, He's already told me he's not from this world and he has a kingdom and he has servants that don't belong here. And I just nearly killed him. And then they're telling me that the reason this uproar is going on all over the city is because he's claiming to be the very son of God. Hercules, whatever. Now he's like, I'm dead. What hornet's nest did I just walk into? Let's go on. Let's look at this. This is why in verse 9, he goes back into the palace and he asks Yeshua specifically. Now he's not, he's not asking, are you really a king? What's he, what's, what's he say? Tell me again, where are you from? He's wanting clarification. Basically, are you a demigod? Is this, I think he's also thinking, do I need to back up? Do I, what, what am I going to need to do to get out of this mess? He's thinking that this, this, it's possible at least. It's at least possible to him. Yeshua doesn't even answer him. He's just standing there looking at him. I assume he's standing. Then Pilate says to him, do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I possess authority to crucify or impale you? And, and I possess the authority to release you? Jesus' response has got to be terrifying to Pilate. He's already scared. Yeshua answered, you would, have, you would possess no authority against me if it were not given you, where? From above. I mean, this is falling right into Pilate's belief system. And it's also true. And he says, because of this, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Ow. Notice that he doesn't let Pilate off the hook. 
notice that he also says that those that delivered him over to Pilate have a greater sin. Did you know that there's degrees of sin? I know all, all, all sin is sin, and it'll get you into hell or whatever. Salvation will get you out. But there's degrees even of punishment. Just like there's degrees on the other side of blessings. He goes, you know, um, he who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. And then look, because this is where you're starting to understand now Pilate's emotional stress, and he is now, he doesn't realize, but he's already painted into a corner he can't get out of. He He's, he's already in this because in verse 12, it says, from then on, Pilate was seeking to release him. Now he's trying to figure out a way. I need to find a way to get out of this. It's because of what they said, his conversation with Jesus and his current worldview and view of history and thinking it happened once, it could happen again and Whoa. There, he already knows something's weird about this whole thing. I mean, if they really wanted him killed, why didn't they just go murder him? Happened all the time. Uh, it's not new in our day. Um, why, why are they doing this and why is all this happening this way? Well, it's because God pretty much orchestrated the whole thing. So in verse 12, it says, from then on, Pilate was seeking to release him, but the Yehudim, the religious leaders, shouted saying, if you release this one, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king or sovereign does speak against Caesar. Now, I want you to notice that. It's at this point that they changed their argument from verse 7 that Yeshua claimed to be the son of God to claiming that he was claiming to be king. And they put pressure on Pilate through politics, pitting him against Caesar, which would cost him his life. Pilate is seeing this going, oh, so you're th now you're threatening me because you're saying that this guy's claiming to be a king. You just got to tell me that the real reason why you're here is because he claimed to be the son of God and all this other stuff going on. He's already had this interesting... He's got a guy that he just beat. And he tells him, any authority you've got's come from above. Folks, the way Yeshua is responding to this whole thing, Pilate has also... He has to see there's something wrong with this... There is nothing normal about what's going on. There's nothing normal about the way this guy is responding to me, the way he's acting, the way he's receiving all of this. There's nothing normal about what they're saying. There's nothing normal about what's happening. Why am I here? And so now they're pitting him against Caesar himself. So that's why it says in verse 13, therefore when Pilate heard those words, see there, uh, before it says, when he heard the words about the Son of God, he became more scared. Now they're telling him, look, any man who puts himself up as a king in Caesar's territory is speaking against Caesar, and if you release him, then you're, you're a friend of him and you're not a friend of Caesar. They're threatening him. We will get a report back to Caesar what you did, and you released a king in his country. And it says, then when Pilate heard those words, he brings Yeshua out, sits down on the judgment seat, place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation day of the Passover week. In your passage there that you have, this is in the scriptures version, you'll notice that the word day and the word week is in italics. It's because it's not in the original. So it really would have just said it was the preparation of Passover. And it was about the sixth hour and he said to the the Jews, the Yehudim, see your king, your sovereign. 
But they shouted away, away, impale him. Pilate said to them, shall I impale your sovereign, your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no sovereign, no king but Caesar. And at that time, then he delivered him to them to be impaled. And they took Yeshua away and led him away. And we know the other, in the other accounts and everything, this is where, you know, Pilate washes his hands. He's trying to get out of this. This is real symbolic. He's washing his hands. And he, I think he's making a plea even to this demigod in front of him or whatever's happening. Just don't come back in the middle of the night and, you know, turn me into a frog and beat me up and roast me and whatever, right? Whatever he's imagining, right? So <clears throat> this is what's happening. And here's what I want. There's a few things now that we're going to talk about. Number one, we know this as the trial of Yeshua, right? But who's really on trial? <laughs> who's really in charge and who is really residing right now as the judge? Yeshua is. All the world is really being judged, uh, is really on trial, and those that are claiming, we don't want that son of God, we want this son of God. We don't want that king, we want this king. Everybody, including Pilate, the Romans, uh, the Jewish leaders, you and I, everybody is on trial at what's going on here. But what we need to remember is that Jesus is in control and he's about to do this so that he can release us from that divorce decree so that we could be remarried to him. I want you to understand that even though he's showing himself to be extremely meek, he is anything but weak. Amen? Now, this is something else, and this is another uh, area here where it seems to be, uh, according to a lot of people, really confusing. And it's just amazing. You know, when I prepare for a message, it's amazing how God puts things together for me out of nowhere at times and, uh, just, and just simply how it connects. Um, number one, here in verse 14, it says, it was the preparation day of the Passover. I've got some notes for you in here because I just want you to see some of my frustration. Uh, this first one, the, and I know everybody here doesn't, is not blessed with like the library I have. I've got a few hundred books in my real, you know, hard books in my library at home. I really don't know how many are in there. I've got over 3,000 in my computer. Uh, I pull up all this stuff. These were just the first two, literally, that I just pulled up and said, let's see what these are saying. So this first one is, uh, and these are some of the most common, popular if you will, commentaries and books and stuff that are out there. This first one, I'll just go ahead and say it's from uh, John Walvard, uh, Bible commentary, Bible knowledge commentary. Anybody here ever heard of the Bible knowledge commentary? Uh, I mean, it's, it's just, a, it's a very prominent commentary. Here's what it says. This was the day of preparation for the Passover week, i.e. Friday. <laughs> go, you can go ahead and circle that, put a big question mark. That day was the... Uh, that day was the Passover proper, the day on which Christ died. I would agree. He died on Passover. But it was also the preparation for the seventh day. You could underline that and put a question mark by it. Like, what in the world are you talking about? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, which followed immediately after the day of Passover, and which is sometimes called Passover week. And it goes on to these other comments. And I'm sitting there going, Really? So it says here that it was the preparation of the Passover, but now you just told me that it was Friday based on one thing. The word preparation was used. So now you're going to assume that it was Friday because after all, it has to be Friday, right? And everybody in here said, wrong, right? Wrong, right? <clears throat> okay. Uh, so this next one, is, uh, it's out of this book called Our Father Abraham, Jewish Roots of the Christian Faith. You would think that might be, we might agree with a lot of stuff in there. And I go to this one, I'm like, what in the world is wrong with you people? 
So this is right here out of John 18, 28. And it states that the Jews who brought Jesus early in the morning to the Roman governor's palace did not want to defile themselves ceremonially, i.e. by going into the dwelling of the Gentile, but that they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. The phrase, eat the Passover, however, doesn't need to be understood as a reference to eat to the Passover supper. Is that not fascinating? I mean, you're going to eat the Passover, but that doesn't mean eat the Passover supper. Anybody here starting to get confused? I mean, does your brain start going, oh, sure, yeah, I know. Yeah, uh-huh, whatever, right? Um, rather, it could refer to the general Passover celebration, which lasted a week. Now, why would he need to say that? Because he's got to make sure it happens on Friday, in addition, John 19, 14 equates the day on which Jesus was crucified, Friday, with the phrase, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. He's doing the exact same thing, using the basis on the, the sheer fact that they use the word preparation, that it's got to be Friday. Folks, these are people that know their Bible, and what happens is we let our theology and our understanding what we think we understand, dictate what we're reading, and then we'll write it in a book. And you know why that makes me mad? Because there are millions of people depending on this. And so if you read that from somebody that, hey, he had it published. Must be true. You can even find it on the internet, so it's got to be true. Right? Right? Well, yeah, this is talking about the Passover week. He died on Friday, rose on Sunday, three days. That's just like saying, well, eating the Passover doesn't mean eating the Passover. (laughs) Right? Died on Friday, rose on Sunday. That's three days, three nights. Who wants to go eat pizza? Right? Just like, well, that makes common sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. And the reason it doesn't make any sense is because we keep twisting the scriptures to fit our emotional understanding. And the reason I'm so wound up is because in this last week, it was in the news, where two very prominent Christian leaders have now turned their back on their faith. Right? Did y'all see that? One was a pastor of a mega church. Now he's, you know, kissed his marriage goodbye, kissed the church goodbye, no longer a Christian and embracing the LGBTQ community. You can read into that whatever you want. Uh, another one is a very famous uh, worship leader with Hillsong. Wrote books, still writing books. No longer a believer. Quote, Because the Bible has a lot of contradictions. Now he's at peace with himself. And it continues. Did you know that two-thirds, two-thirds of high school students that grew up in church, two-thirds of them will leave the church and leave their faith when they graduate high school? You know why? doesn't make any sense. I'm reading stuff all the time. Pastor's saying one thing. I'm sitting there going, well, uh, okay. Uh, I'm confused, but boy, that'll preach. I'm trying to get ready for Sabbath. We were going to go celebrate our um, youth ministers and music ministers' uh, retirement that Sonia and I grew up under. And I'm just trying to get some stuff in my barn right before I go in and shower and head into Dallas. It took me um, 90 seconds to get in my truck, pull it out, and back it up to my barn. During that time, I went, yeah, I'll just put it on FM, just for grins. And it's a very, I'm not going to name any names, very, very prominent FM Christian station that I've grown up listening to in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. One of the, if not the most prominent pastor, preacher, teacher, seminary president in the United States in the last 30 years is preaching on David and Goliath. 
And he's talking about this eye deformity that Goliath had to have had because the reason he was big was because it was a birth defect. And people that have that certain birth defect that causes them to be that big, they have these eye problems. And you see, that's why Goliath didn't understand that King David had a sling in his hand. And that's also why he had to have an armor bearer there to help him, and also why he wanted David to come closer, because he couldn't see him good. So you see, the thing that made Goliath so big is also the thing that was his greatest weakness. And so if you you've got giants in your life, don't worry. They've got weaknesses too. And God is with you and it's going to be okay. Kid you not. I got out of my train. All that took 90 seconds for me to hear that. And then I went, this is what he's talking about. And I climb out of the truck and I'm laughing so hard out loud. I'm wondering if people are going to come out, my neighbor's. All the while, I'm preparing for this going, Pilate had this attitude because he understood the Nephilim. He had a Deuteronomy 32 worldview. He understood his Bible. We don't. Way too many of us pastors don't have a clue what we're really saying. But boy, it'll preach. And we got two-thirds of our young people, and I pray that doesn't happen with these kids, that they will know that their Bible is true and that it is not filled with contradictions. It is factual. You can trust it. God knows what he's doing. That Jesus died on Nissan 14, and it wasn't a Friday. Crying out loud. I've said this, and y'all have heard me. We're so biblically illiterate, we can't count to three. And we will stand up day after day. Jesus died on Friday, in the ground on Saturday, rose on Sunday, and he said, this wicked and evil generation will not be given a sign except the sign of Jonah. As the same way Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. There you got it. Friday to Sunday, three days, three nights. Add that one up. I've taught that, so I know. I know all the ways around to try to teach that and try to finagle that to make it work. In the same way, well, eating the Passover really doesn't mean eating the Passover supper because they need the day of preparation to be Friday. It was Wednesday. He died, he's arrested on Wednesday, dies on Thursday. Friday would have been, uh, no, I'm sorry, would have died Wednesday, then Thursday. Anyways, I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. He, he, died, he, was, he died on Nissan 14. Nissan 15, no matter what day of the week it is, is a Sabbath. That would have been that Friday. Dies on Wednesday. Thursday would have been Nissan 15. That's a Sabbath. They rested. That was, that was the big day. Friday wasn't a Sabbath. That was the day the women were able to go buy the spices, get it ready, all that stuff. And then they rested on the Sabbath, as was their custom. And then on Sunday morning, which is first fruits, they go and see that he's been resurrected. And he's in the ground what? Three days and three nights. Well, imagine that. And this gets me so fired up because people will say that this passage dealing with Pilate is controversial and it can't be right because Pilate was an evil, mean, and nasty person and he didn't like the Jews and here you got him trying to be nice to the Jews. Well, obviously, you know, it's just a metaphor. No, he understood his Bible. And Satan has kept us from understanding what's in our Bible because 
well, you know, you need to be safe, and that, that's some of those scary things, and you'll have a hard time understanding that and really believing it. And, you know, hey, uh, you know, it'll be okay, so just go to church and listen to a nice little ditty and, you know, some sound bites, sermon sound bites, and, you know, then go do your thing, and hey, it'll all be okay. Wrong. And based on that dumb ideology, we're losing two-thirds of our young people. Full denominations are going apostate as I speak. Totally turning their back on the gospel, on the Bible, and rewriting it to fit the cultural norm. The falling away is already happening, if you haven't seen that yet. And it's coming like a tidal wave. Because people can't reconcile it. You know why? Because they don't know their Bible. And they're not hearing it. And the more I understand my Bible, quite honestly, I hate to say this, but the more frustrated I get. The more I, and I'll go to commentaries and stuff, and I'm constantly just going, that's not right. Well, that's, uh, whatever. What does the Bible just say? And it's amazing how God just you know, reveals things to me out of everything I've heard. I, I, I'm going to tell you that I, I'm reading all this. I've got all this understanding and stuff that God has been giving me. It's like downloading this stuff. And I'm hearing this guy say, well, Pilate was a pagan. And I just went click, boom, bang, bang, Deuteronomy 32, of course. And now it makes sense. We have a tendency to think Pilate is like us. No. 2,000 years removed and he had a different worldview. And so when he hears Jesus say, well, you know, my kingdom's not really of this world. If it was, everybody around here would be in trouble. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a king. And any authority you got came from up there. So the one that gave you, me to you has the greater sin Period. It's a pilot kind of going, <laughs> right? Um, it, it actually makes sense. As a, out of all this, I just want to tell you, your Bible, you can trust it. More than that, you can trust the author of it. I'm telling you, that Noah's flood was universal. I'm telling you that the children of Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry ground and Pharaoh's army ended up at the bottom of it. I'm telling you they went in the wilderness and God split a rock and brought water out of it. I'm telling you that he brought manna down from heaven and fed them. And I'm telling you that the God you and I serve is the great God of all gods that created everything, and that God loves you so much that he's revealing these truths to you so that when everything continues to hit the fan, you'll be ready. And you will be ready to raise your kids in the new one that's coming. Hallelujah. And you won't have to teach them idiotic stuff. You can teach them the truth of what the Word of God really says. Because I'm convinced of this. This young generation and the millennials and everything, people want truth, real truth. They don't want niceties that don't make sense. They want the truth. Kids are so much smarter than we give them credit for. These people that are leaving... They're leaving because they're fed up. Because they're not hearing the truth. And they're like, this doesn't make any sense. Why would I keep doing something that doesn't make any sense? And I would have to go, exactly. And if it's not making any sense, it, that make, then it makes sense to not keep doing it because the definition of insanity is what? Keep doing the same thing on and on and on, thinking you're going to get a different result. And they're sitting there going, I'm smarter than that. You know, mom and dad, I know you've been going forever and everything he's saying, I'm like, well, I don't even understand it. And so when I'm out of the house, you know what? 
I'll be my own man, my own woman, make up my own mind, go do my own thing. I'm just not going to spend the rest of my life doing that when, it, when everything I'm hearing every week doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, Jesus died for us. Okay, I get that. But he, now they've got all these doubts as to whether or not the scriptures are even true. And what you're seeing now is leaders in the church spewing this garbage. And conservative leaders telling you, eh, Goliath had a birth defect. You'd be shocked. You probably already know. You'd be dumbfounded if, you, if I told you exactly who said that. Um, but that's just one of many. Because if you, it, God loves you. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross, Yeshua to die on the cross for you. He died exactly when he should. He was in the ground three days, three nights. He rose on first fruits. He fulfilled those spring feasts. He's going to come back and fulfill the fall feasts. He loves you. He's the king of the universe. He's the creator of the universe. (laughs) And he wants you to walk with him and have a personal relationship with him and understand something, that you and I are supposed to be kings and queens in his kingdom, ruling over the angels, He's going to reform and recreate the earth the way it's supposed to be with the exact number of God imagers on it that he originally wanted. And we will rule that earth and that kingdom representing the king of kings, the God of all gods, the way we were supposed to have been doing it in the garden the first time. And everything that Satan tried to do to thwart that whole plan, God is undoing everything that he was doing to his glory. That is awesome. It has not yet sunk into our heads the blessings and the love and the greatness that God has in store for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. But on that day, we're going to look back and go, wow. Really? It's going to be so far greater than anything you and I can even begin to imagine. Because when all of that happens, then that unseen realm and the seen realm will intersect again and it'll be just like going from inside to outside, no big deal. Angels walking on the earth, God walking among us, us being here, never dying, getting a resurrected body with hair, I hope. (laughs) It's going to be a resurrected body. Um, God loves you. I'm so um, honored um, to be able to be here and do this walk with you.